Welcome to Rockstar Today, the podcast that helps musicians quit their day jobs. Show notes can be found on rockstartoday.com forward slash podcast. You will also find a link to sign up to the Rockstar Today Backstage Pass Facebook group. And now your host, Randall. Somebody asked me the other day, they're like, has this made your life really strange? And I was like, well, my life is normally very strange. I think it's made the life strange for me, but kind of made it more normal in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think a normal life is strange, and it's, that's not rock and roll at all. No, there's not much rock and roll going on around here these days, but that's okay. I listen to a lot of music. That's been good. Let's start. I've been looking forward to this. I'll tell you why I've been looking forward to this conversation. Many, many, many years ago, when I was just in my late teens, I did lighting for a bar. I was working at a club. Oh, nice. Dome. I forgot about this for the longest time. And I was, I was thinking, why am I always interested in the lighting? It's like, oh, yeah, I, I actually used to do that for a while. And I had a lot of fun. I had all my buttons. And this was a very rudimentary setup. Nothing like when I first met you. I saw the importance of lighting and the importance of color, the importance mm-hmm. of making an impact. And we had these big white boom lights and i would just know the song so well that i just knew when to like put these effects and most people probably never notice but it's all subliminal right it's all about the experience and they don't think about it yeah i think lighting is best when it adds to the music it's not over the top it doesn't distract from so It'd be nice if you have like a couple moments where you're like, wow, the lighting was spectacular. You can think about the light being spectacular, but honestly, you you go to see the the band and it depends on the, you know, the type of music and and the production as to to whether you want the lighting to take over or not. But it's, it certainly should complement instead of be its own thing. It's derived from the music. So that's the background, but let's get to your bio. Megan Metkin, welcome to the show. Rockstar today. Uh, you have an illuminating career. Sorry, I had, I had to put that in there, literally. <laughs> so you work as lighting director and a production design for bands such as Kings of Leon, The Strokes, Janelle Monet, MGMT, Metric, Dead Cab for Cutie, Cheryl Crow, and lately uh, St. Vincent and also Sophie Tucker, just to name a few. Those are not small bands. Those are pretty big names. And while these bands were there to please the ears, while well, Megan helps the audience also have a visual experience like no other. So I'm going to give you a little bit of the history where I saw you first. Dave Hodge, the international man of mystery, if you follow him on Instagram, he's like scuba diving with sharks and stuff. I don't know. Interesting <laughs> guy. Anyway, he's showing me around. It was 2016, March 19th, the Bell Center. because I was, re- I was doing a review for uh, Leisure Cruise, Dead Cab, and Metric. And he was showing me around and he took me to the spot at the end of the bell center where the lights and all the, the sound engineers are. And he just was talking really highly of you. And I remember putting your name down in my review of the show, especially at that angle from behind there, the, that live show was insane. It was so cool. I was there with my daughter and we just really appreciated it. Next thing I know, I'm at another metric show and I go, Hmm, I wonder if Megan's, the one doing lights. I couldn't remember your name, so I had to Google my own like article to find the <laughs> name. And again, different, a different venue because we went from a, a stadium rock tour to a more of a two thousand seater. Yep. That's the history of uh, myself and your lighting shows. So, what's your history? Let's go back to the 
the beginning. Uh, what was your first time doing lights? What was it like? You were maybe in front of your parents? <laughs> or um, the kids at school? Or what was your first uh, gig where you really felt like, this is, this is fun? I started doing lighting in college. I went to the University of Texas in Austin. Austin is a huge music town. Some of my friends were in a band and they played this one club every Wednesday night, as I remember. At one point, we were, you know, we were all in the car together. We were leaving a party. It was kind of late at night. And one of the guys said, I wish we could get somebody who knew our music to do lights for us. And I was like, I'll do lights. That sounds like fun. So I just started doing lights for a friend's band. Um, and then it happened that at the university, they had a program for automated lighting design. At the time, it was um, one or two in the world. And um, they'd never had an advertising major apply. So they let me in <laughs> um, to this program that I never should have gotten into. And um, yeah, I did three semesters of that. We were just in a little black box with maybe like 30 some odd high-end systems lights. And some. I think we had a HOG 2. And um, I learned to program lights to music. There was, there was no band or anything. So you picked like really dynamic music and made, made a show out of just the lighting. So I did three semesters of that and then that snowballed into a career somehow. I feel like if I had known that this was like a legitimate career, I probably would have gone about it the wrong way. And I don't know that I would have ended up where I am. <laughs> I just feel very fortunate to have just stumbled into something that, that I love. And I honestly can't imagine being more satisfied with, with the career. I do, I've always loved music, but I was just not a good musician. So it's my way into something that I, I love. And I, I love creating things. And yeah. <laughs> There's two parts to your, your job. You talked about the programming. You have to design. Yes. Design the show. Then you have to program the show. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, live is this all programmed or you're tweaking live on the fly as well for me everything i do is programmed um there might be some if the band doesn't do something the same way every night then that stuff will be on the fly but i specialize in time-coded programming you know in the lighting world you don't necessarily have to do all three there are designers that just design there are programmers that just programmer and there are operators that just operate and there's any combination of those three together i love doing all parts of it probably because i'm a control freak the thing that i'm letting go of the most is operation so that i can focus more on on design and programming i'd say i love programming more than anything it's just like getting into the details of things and, and it's all problem solving. And um, I don't know, I, I think that's where the real magic is, is it's in programming, you really see the show come together. Yeah, then those are the three mains you would do. Why do you think that lighting is so important to the whole musical experience? It's the visual translation of what you're hearing. And so when, when the two things work in harmony, it's, it's more than what it could have been when it was just audio. And so it helps you highlight the different things that are going on on stage. So, you know, if you have a guitar solo, it, it'll move your focus to the place that it needs to be on stage. If the music is really small and intimate and the lighting is very small and intimate, it can kind of pull the crowd in. But when you have these giant moments and you're putting lights all over the audience and all over the arena, that again, just, it makes everything bigger. And so I think it just, it's just another way to connect with the music. 
And I think that's why it's so impactful. Out of all the shows that you've done, is there some that really stand out? Like uh, the one I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in front of is Soapy <laughs> which looks so intricate. Like, I mean, there's so much stuff going on in the background. Uh, I did not see this uh, sp specific concert, but I have been to a few of the other ones that you've, you've done lighting for. Is there any that kind of stand out as being like very difficult or exciting that you really got to uh, explore to the max your talents? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've been really fortunate on the pro projects that I've worked on. Everything comes with these challenges. It doesn't matter what it is. There is always a challenge. Like, and I love to say that like, we are paid to solve problems. They're, like, that is what the job is, it's problem solving. So no gig comes without challenges, which is wonderful. It keeps me engaged. You know, I, I'm particularly proud of my work with Metric and my work with St. Vincent and the one that you're standing in front of, Sophie Tucker. I was just the programmer on that one, but I'm, I was very proud of how that one turned out. Sarah Landau did, did the design and it was really great to get to collaborate with her because we do have very different styles and um, I think something magical really came out of that one. But um, I, like, I like the projects that have like really well-defined constraints. Um, so with St. Vincent, I designed her kind of festival tour for, that have been 2018, I think. You know, the, the production manager was really great about being like, you, you're gonna get two lighting techs, you have this much space in the truck, this is about how much time you're gonna have to set up this stuff. And then, you know, Annie gave us some really, really wild direction on what she wanted things to look like. I just I feel like that one was a pretty magical combination. It worked both in the daytime because it was a big kind of pix call it a pixelated video wall. It's not exactly what it was behind her and, and the band and everything was on rolling risers, but it also worked extremely well um, at nighttime and it was big and bright and just like in your face. Yeah, I'm really proud of that work. And then the last metric design was interesting. You know, they had kind of moved into something on the first show that you saw where there was it was almost a video element but it wasn't behind them and I wanted to kind of take that and expand it to a, something more along the lines of, of video and, and to kind of take up more space behind them but the, the budgets ended up being limited and we also had constraints as far as everything was a co-headline um, so we had to clear the deck yeah that like I just I really enjoyed working with the tour manager on that David Timmons which is a fantastic resource of just like working with him on on the budget and trying we ended up actually purchasing some fixtures for it we purchased and, and, and fabricated the video the video wall behind them yeah that that one was and and working with the fabricate we worked with Solotech they were absolutely wonderful on getting you know just translating the idea into reality and and yeah, I feel like seeing that one actually come to life because there were so many times when it felt like it like wasn't ever going to happen um, or at least like what was in my head wasn't going to finally get made or there wasn't a way to, to make it that would be doable. Yeah, uh, it's, it's magical getting to see uh, your ideas come to life. So, yeah, I'm really proud of those. It's funny because Annie in real life is very shy and subdued. Obviously very artistic in the way that... Yeah. The, the video designs are on stage. She's like larger than life. In real life, she's like very shy little girl, but completely transformed. It's really, to me, it was fascinating to see that transformation. 
And I guess yeah. the, the lighting did, and the design brings to her persona of that rock star uh, that just makes her into a completely different person. Absolutely. And she is, um, yeah, she does. She has the, the onstage persona and she's, you know, just a kind person when she's not in, not saying she's not kind when she's working, but they're, they are different people. Yeah, she has the ability to play through some difficult lighting. Below her on that tour, she had 36 strobes that were, you know, five feet away from her, her face, shining up into her, playing those guitar solos. Like, she doesn't have to look at her guitar. She knows where everything is. She's so talented. Yeah. And she actually enjoyed the challenge of playing in that lighting atmosphere. She she liked the fact that it was difficult. It kind of brought more out of her performance, which I thought was really interesting. When we um, When we were first in rehearsals, there were a few places where she's like, I need you to tone this down here but we'll build it up and we'll get it to the full thing by the time that we have to perform this. And yeah, there was, by the time we got it out on the road, there wasn't anything that I had to tone down for her to be able to play. And I can guarantee you, I would not be able to do my job. I don't, I don't know how anybody dealt with that lighting design. It was brutal to them, but they somehow, somehow did it. (laughs) Um, Side note, I think it's really funny. Annie and I actually played soccer together in sixth grade on a competitive team for a year. And uh, we knew each other for that year. We sat on the bench together and we uh, didn't, discover, didn't discover that we knew each other until the second round of rehearsals. And it just kind of all clicked, which is hilarious. <laughs> bench warmers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look at us now. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of uh, touched on it a little bit and uh just to give you an idea, the, the most listeners of this podcast are not doing stadium tours yet. Sure. We're, we're helping <laughs> them to try to make this like a, a successful endeavor. So I'm, I'm trying to find tips of, of how to use, you know, your training, your knowledge, but to apply it on a smaller stage. So we, we talked about, you know, these stadium tours. We talked about metric having, you know, when I first saw you, you were on a stadium tour. The second time was at the, M Telus for us in Montreal. So a little bit smaller venues with that double bill. It was a uh, July talk was the yep. uh, <laughs> band. What's different in your process of designing? And, and then we'll get into the smaller clubs because that's probably where my listeners are, are, are having to apply this. And then I'm going to get your advice for that, but let's just sure, go uh, the difference there. Well, so what you actually saw was that uh, was an arena tour that we, that was the only Canadian date that wasn't in an arena. So you saw, you saw an arena show put into a club. So we had to cut some of the fixtures. Um, the, the video wall wasn't as wide as it normally was. If I remember correctly, we weren't able to fly the side lights. They were normally uh, raked out at an angle. Um, those had to be flat and flown all the way up instead of kind of down in with the band. What else? I think we got You're really rest- talking about problem solving in here, tweaking for the venue. Oh yeah, and there's so much of that in clubs. Like when you design for a club, you have to both design for the, the largest club that you're gonna play in and the smallest club that you're gonna play in. And kind of know um, what's gonna get cut from day to day because they're all different. Doesn't matter if you're in theaters or, or clubs, like the just the stage sizes, the stage depths, um, trim heights, they're all so variable. You have to have a game plan, I think, you know, going into it 
And, and so, and we did with metric because metric started, um, that tour, they actually started as they were opening for smashing pumpkins, uh, in arenas. And then they went to Europe where they were playing small clubs, maybe like anything from like two to, I think they were probably averaging around 500 people, but Oh, really? Capacities, but they were playing anywhere from maybe like a 200 person to maybe like a 2000 and, and maybe like Paris or something like that. They played some bigger venues in some of the bigger cities, but it was mainly smaller tours. So it was small clubs. And then in the U.S. it was it was regular clubs and, and theaters. Um, so that's anywhere from maybe like a thousand to four thousand capacity venues and um, and then went into arenas in, in Canada. And so the design had to be built in stages in a way that we could move from clubs or small clubs, normal sized clubs, or what I would call normal sized clubs. Maybe the small clubs are normal. Um, <laughs> in, and then in, into arenas. So that was one of the things with building the, the video wall. We built it in two meter segments so that if the width of the stage wasn't as big, we could chop off parts of it. And then we put chains in between the lines of video. It's hard to explain, but they were Martin Septrons, uh, which is just a strip of pixels, 100 pixels wide, one pixel tall. Um, and so we had 14 rows of those and we put chains in between those on, actually, I still have one of the carabiners right here. We put it on on that and you could, uh, you could change the, the spacing between the rows in order to account for different trim heights. And we actually, we built a small version of it for Europe so that we could test the concept before we purchased all of the fixtures and purchased all of the, the rigging and fabrication that went along with that wall. So yeah, the thought of how to, how to build from, from show to show is, was definitely one of the big constraints and challenges of that, that tour. Now I'm curious. So you have this big tour and you go out and you buy these, all this, all this equipment, what happens at the end of the tour? Uh, they still own it, so my guess is with them, it's in storage right now. I believe it's at uh, Solotech. My guess is when the next tour happens, we will look at a way to reuse those fixtures, though we probably won't be able to reuse the fabrication. We might be able to use some of it. You know, not in today's market. You can't really sell it, but we could look at selling it. It, You know, the, the cost of renting it versus the cost of buying it was about the same. Mm -hmm. So if we can use it again, they will end up ahead. And uh, if we end up selling it, I still think they, they end up ahead. It's very rare on that size of a tour to purchase equipment, I feel like. Unless you're, you know, like you might purchase a media server um, in order to be able to, you know, take your video, same video with you on the same laptop everywhere. It's pretty normal to purchase video servers or media servers for kind of bands in, in kind of that club level. But uh, purchasing lighting equipment, I've seen it done a few times, but it's not, it's not always the case. It makes sense for smaller bands, I think, to, to purchase just because the needs don't change that much for them and it can really add something to their show. When you're not renting at large quantities, you're not getting any discounts. So, yeah. yeah. So you don't have, let's say, $100,000 as a band to spend on lighting? <laughs> Instead, you maybe have a thousand dollars. Yeah. As an expert in lighting, so you're you're playing clubs, you're playing smaller venues. Uh, what are some things that you can suggest? You know, best bang for your buck. So for small bands to 
to still get that that experience and using lighting to enhance the music, but without that big budget, what are some of the, the gear they can start with? Starter kit, I would say. You know, I, gear, I, it, that's a tough one. It depends on the band, right? So you want to take a look at what your style is of music. You want, you want to get an idea of the vibe that you're going for. And without a lighting designer actually running your lights, there's not a ton. I mean, you could, you could get really creative with it. And if, you know, if you're running tracks and you have Ableton or, or some sort of playback system and you want to fire MIDI cues to a console that'll fire lights for you, you can program that stuff till your heart's content. You can get really creative with it. It's not something I've ever dealt with, so I can't exactly tell you what technology you need for that. But um, I know that that does exist. So MIDI, MIDI control, if you really want to get into building your own light show, you're going to look at doing things via MIDI. But, you know, LEDs are great. They're cheap cheaper than than they've ever been you can get a lot of use out of them so but i i would say that the one thing you really want to start looking at it is just what you're trying to accomplish with the lighting so you know if you're a doom band and everything's like heavy and um it's more about the you know the music than seeing the musicians you might want to like find a way to to backlight and have a lot of shadow and it becomes very mysterious if you have a lead singer who has a wonderful voice and is super charismatic, you want to find a way to highlight that, you know, so you just kind of want to look at what type of music you are and, and, and what would be best. And I don't know if that's easy for people to determine. I don't know how to really give good guidelines on that, but that's going to inform what you want to purchase. Um, and then that would go into, you know, LEDs, they're great. You can change colors with them. You can get ones that are just white, you know, little cans. Maybe they're, you know, I'm sure you can find some good ones for, you know, a hundred bucks a piece. If you wanted to get some that you can just do like simple, like uplighting or something on each one of the band members that can really add a lot to the stage presence versus having, you know, just a big wash of front lights where the entire stage is just bright at least like each individual member is kind of highlighted and in their own pocket. And I think that creates a bit of a vibe to it. And you, you know, they're set it and forget it kind of things where you can pick what color you want, set it at that, set the intensity level you want, set them where you want them to go and, and get a nice flattering angle on yourself. Generally having two lights per person kind of not quite 45 degrees out, maybe like 30 degrees off center from you, but, down and kind of coming up is a really flattering angle um you know if if you're looking into getting leds try and get a single node um something that doesn't have all the little like light bright dots where you're seeing like the red source and the blue source you want to have something that's a homogenized source so that you're not getting this striping on your face if you use any color um if you're not going to use color just buy a warm or a cool colored LED instead of trying to color mix it because you see that all the time where people are trying to mix a color and a lot of times with these cheaper LEDs ones it's really hard to get the actual fixtures to match in a set if you're color mixing spend some time on that to really get a nice skin tone you know it's really easy to make somebody look too green or too orange or yeah uh, I have a little selfie light yeah the light just just to add because you know this is it's an audio podcast, but we have video. It's really interesting that how the different tones can really change it. I mean, it can make me look kind of sick or or like I got a sunburn or... Yeah, and it's, 
I, you know, maybe it's not distracting for everybody, but as a lighting nerd, when I see, when I see bad, you know, bad skin tone, you're just like, oh, it's just very un- unattractive. It doesn't look good in photos. And I, I think that's one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is just how much lighting adds to your, your social media presence. Like you want to be able to present well pictures of your show. And so if, if you don't have good lighting, you, you don't have good pictures. Those two are one and the same. I want to go there. The last thing I wanted to talk about for the small show, you talked about the lighting, you talked about different technologies, the MIDI controller. Uh, I believe you could probably get stuff that kind of picks up the beat and kind of like maybe pulsates. I would caution against that. I think less is more. I think that's the worst thing that you can do is just automate lights because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they look like. They just know that they're moving to the beat. When things are happening all the time, they might as well not be happening at all. So you only want things moving when it matters for them to move. You don't know what the audio trigger is actually going to be picking up. Audio triggered stuff just never works correctly. In video content, I think you can have some generative stuff that works. But I think with lighting, it is a slippery slope to go that way. So my biggest thing would be if, if you have, you know, if you have a limited budget, I would actually look at hiring a, a local lighting designer and having somebody like, I think the best thing that you can do is have somebody who knows your music and they can make good decisions for what venues you're playing in. And a lot of times, you know, I can re- remember back when I was first starting out in lighting, I think in the same way that like bands are looking for a break, lighting designers are looking for a break. They're looking for touring experience. They're looking for, you know, even if it's not a tour, but to say that they've worked, you know, with a band consistently. Um, and a lot of times, you know, lighting people are going to have some amount of equipment. So the band doesn't have to, to buy it. They might have some video equipment or, or they might have a console or something like that. So I would honestly say your best bang for your buck is if you've been at a club and you felt like somebody actually like cared and did a good job running lights for you, you might talk to that person and see if they want to come out and do shows with you from time to time. And, and that might be the best way to spend your money or you might sit down with them. One thing I would really recommend is writing out a general lighting plan, just like giving, uh, you know, write it out. What's the vibe of your show? What are you looking to accomplish? And if, if you want to write out notes for a set list, the sooner that you can get that to the lighting designer that day, um, the better your show is going to be. When I was a house LD, you would often get that list like five minutes before the, the show went on and you'd been sitting at the venue all day doing nothing, you'd focused a few lights. But other than that, you didn't do anything, whereas you could have really created something for them during the day. So, you know, if you have all that written out, just get it to the lighting designer. And you can, you can also talk to, um, you know, when you're... If somebody has never done this before, what would be the process? You, you say, uh, this is my set list, these are the songs. And, mm-hmm. and these are... Yeah, we like these colors. You know, say this song is slow and melodic. You know, like give, give a description of what the song okay. is so they know kind of what's coming. You don't necessarily have to give them colors, but if there are colors that you like for that, you can give them that. I would advise against saying things like, you know, I've definitely heard like somebody come and be like, well, this is a murder ballad, so we want it red. And you're like, yeah, but the song's really soft. It doesn't need to be red. Like, so you can definitely like let the lighting designer pick things up. But I think giving a vibe of what the song is, the feel for the song, um, along with the set list can be really helpful. And then if you, you know, if you know that like, this song has a false ending. 
you know, this song starts slow and then gets really heavy in the middle, just all, you know, just kind of describe verbally what the song is going to be like. And that's going to give the lighting designer a much better chance at making things happen for you. And then also, I, you know, in that kind of like general overview, tell them if, if, if you really want guitar solos picked up and to highlight different members of the band, tell them that. If you want things to be dark and moody, tell them that. If you, you know, if you need light in order to see things, like that I worked with a band where the guy had, I guess, a drum pad and it lit up in red and green um, were the two colors to tell him what was active. And so he couldn't have either of those colors coming down onto his drum pad. Otherwise he couldn't see what he was doing. And so you can relay things like that that'll make your, your show better. Yeah, I've always found that, you know, just that communication can go a long way. Let's talk about color. Color okay. <laughs> is very important. So um, important. And, and I'm going to give you a, uh, Another thing to consider, because I work a lot with, let's say when I review a show, we normally have a, a reviewer and we have a photographer who, you know, does those, you know, first three songs of every band. And there are certain colors that are just completely terrible to shoot in as a photographer. Yes. yes. Uh, one thing I would suggest is for the first three songs, I, I talked to my editor because he's, he's a professional photographer and I said, okay, what are the worst colors you can have in those first three songs? And he always goes red light, mm -hmm. terrible for photography and too much black light. Just kind of messes everything up. So, but forgetting the photographers, I, I don't want to forget the photographers. I, I love those guys and girls. So that, that's a challenge for them is the lighting sometimes in terms of color and mood. Like I was, I was mentioning to you when I did lights, I would have these big white spotlights that I would hit when it was like a, a big beat it was like, and then I had all the little blue lights and there was red lights. What are some of the, the colors mix, matching with the moods? We, we talked about it a little bit, but can you go maybe deeper into the selection of colors? Like how do you pick your colors? Yeah. I always say that color is, is the emotion of the song. And that's, that's where it comes from. So when you have a slow song, you're going to be looking at like blues and lavenders and, and, just kind of the cooler colors, something that feels kind of more peaceful. Whereas when you have like big rock songs, like red and white and striking, you know, different color combinations. I guess I use a lot of white when there's big rock songs. It's tough to, to really talk through exactly. It, it, I think you start to get a feel for what, what works as far as color combinations. Um, I tend to be somebody who either goes monochromatic or very rarely have more than two colors on a stage. So again, I, for me, less is more, but I've definitely seen, maybe that just depends on the, the bands that I'm working with. And certainly if you were to move out of the way, you would see a lot more colors on the stage. Cause um, yeah, that, that show was needed to have um, lots of colors to it. Yeah. I'm probably not the best at, at describing color theory. I've certainly like worked really hard on, on, well, you have your instinct. You have the 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 M and M instinct. We call it. Yeah, the it's M <laughs> You know, and but for for my designs, one of the the things that I do before we get into programming is there's going to be a a color palette. I'm going to know what colors that I am going to use throughout the show. You know, 
there was a while there, probably still in that phase. I go with through phases of it where I'm like, oh, I love this type color. I don't like that type color. I don't know where it comes from. You know, I just got really sick of primary blue. Like I'd used it so much that I just decided we're not using primary blue in these shows. It's just not going to happen anymore. So then you come up with a, you know, a color palette that skews off of, of that. I think you can, you can pull your, your palettes from a lot of places. Like if you have album artwork, you know, you can kind of take a look at that. If you're, um, you know, if, if you find that your, your merch is all neon and, and, <laughs> you know, maybe you look at doing brighter colors. Yeah. It, it's the one I hate to call it a rule, but I'll call it a rule. Green lighting's terrible. Green, I think it just is for the fact that it washes out skin. Certainly you never, I mean, I don't want to say never, but you never want green light from the front. Everybody looks sickly and disappears, but even even greens from any other angle are really tough to, to work in. There's always ways to do it that work, but um, it's just as a, a green's tricky. I stay away from, from a lot of green, and if I do use green, it's generally kind of desaturated, or if I'm trying to like mimic some sort of like laser or something, then, then that'll work and it complements with kind of like a, a, a blue or a, a purple, but um, it's, I hate green. <laughs> but then again, I love the challenge of trying to like put it in. So yeah, uh, does that answer? Yeah, it does. Okay, <laughs> I feel like I rambled a while on that one and didn't really say much. Yeah, uh, and and I guess some of the other things there, you know, there there is a lighting, but there's also effects. So you have strobes, you have uh, you have lights that are like more laser. How are those used uh, effectively? Sparingly, except for strobes. Um, <laughs> I'm the strobe queen. I love putting strobes, but luckily now strobes can do, you know, now that you have LEDs, strobes can be a constant wash and then have those giant hits of light as well. And so they don't, they can be used in, in more ways than, than they used to be. Strobes are certainly something that add to like a, an uneasy feel. So if you have just kind of like some, I don't know, random sounds going on, you can have random strobes going on and that builds a lot of anticipation, you know, especially if you're not showing any light from the front. If you have strobes going on, they're, they're a very exciting kind of light. So they're, you know, using strobes at big moments, finding places where, you know, it's, it's just like a big hit and the music fades. It's great to have like a big strobe light and then all the lights go out, you know, like a big strobe before a blackout is always fun. I love blackout effects. So if you can find those times where you know that like there's a hard drop in the song, if you can get that blackout and just completely blackout the stage, I think it that is a really- drama to the whole Yes. Thing. I think that's, I mean, that's that's really what lighting does is, is kind of create that drama for you. What other effects are out there? Lasers are fun. Lasers get overused. I think um, when you have them, they're very expensive. So people tend to want to use them in every song. And again, anytime you do something all the time, like as humans, we just get used to whatever we're seeing, doing whatever situation we're in. And so I think knowing how to pull back and use things sparingly is, is the best thing for effects. Just, you know, you have something, have a few really special moments for it. That generally tends to mean maybe if you have a big rocker um, or like, sorry, I work in kind of the rock end of things. So I keep going back to that. But like if you have a big song, you know, if it's electronic or something, first, first song out of the gate and you want to start strong, maybe you'll show some of your effects there, but never show everything in the first song 
always dial it down and then build it up. You're looking to create a show arc, right? And so you don't want to start at the top because you have nowhere to go from there. You want to be able to build up and build up and build up so that the end of your show is the biggest and the most impactful. I would say that maybe there's a bit of a caveat there for, for festival shows. You don't always expect to have everybody in the audience there throughout your entire show at a festival. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Artistically, it's hard to, to want to let go of the narrative or the arc of the show just for that. But I would say like with festivals, I play things bigger instead of safely just to try and grab more attention. Interesting. Well, we, we went on so many different avenues. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Was there ever a time where the lighting went really wrong? Mm-hmm. All the time. Um, my, not all the time, but uh, there's always the chance. The worst ones are um, unintentionally black out the stage. It takes you a while to get it back. Even, or, I mean, even if it doesn't take you a while, that's, that's a difficult one. I've had two really bad ones where uh, it was my first show with Chromeo. They're in like their intro set, which is a four or five song kind of medley. They're in the middle of it somewhere, and I accidentally changed the page, which blacked out the show. But because they were in a medley and I was looking for the name of the song, I couldn't find the, <laughs> the song. And so they played in darkness for a good minute before I could get things back on track. And I also did that with Death Cab, where it was a cue that I hit, and I, I had updated some cues, and I deleted one, and I didn't realize that the cue that I had deleted was where another cue actually stopped. And so the, I hit a cue and then it followed on to the next cue, which was a blackout. And I just thought, I thought I'd lost control of the rig. Um, and so I was like over in my spare console trying to make it work when really I was just in the wrong cue. That happens. What else can happen with lighting going wrong? You know, that's one of the things that I really love about time code is that it allows you to, as an operator, manage, you know, technological mess ups of a show. So, you know, if you have some lights that are fritzing out or have a mechanical issue, you don't have to stop running your show to fix them. You can just go into the console, pick the light, send it a reset signal, or you can, you know, easily talk on, on comm or on your radio to your technician and, and let them know what to reset instead of having to like, I can't multitask. I can't do it at all. I cannot keep a beat and be talking to somebody or like listening for cues and trying to, so... Anytime I can automate things and put them on time code, I just feel like it's it's better for the show in general because, you, you know, lights are, they've got so many different parts in them. They're bound to break from time to time. The, you know, the cables are bound to break. They're moving in and out. And so you got to roll it, with the punches. Yeah. And I'm sure that if you're on a stadium tour, probably you've paid your dues and you, you become tight. So that time code will make sense because they'll, they will have a set that's pretty tight and, and consistent. Yeah. But, you know, I think more and more bands are using using tracks, using Ableton and, and playback at, at all levels. And so I do think that there are ways that you can, you know, again, with, with putting MIDI cues in there, or if you're, you know, working with a lighting designer regularly, and, and now lighting consoles, you know, have the ability to clone from you know, whatever type of fixture to whatever, you know, one day to the next. And so I think that's, again, the, you know, working with 
an LD where possible creates consistency in the show. And you can absolutely time code a show that you don't even have, you don't own a single light for. So it's, it's possible. Yeah. And every lighting console has a PC version on it. And I feel like up and coming lighting designers, you know, yeah, they, they know this stuff and, and they want to use this stuff and they want to find ways to make things, you know, like everybody's competing for jobs and, and wants to be the, you know, maybe everybody doesn't want to be the best at this, but, you know, like everybody's in this because we like creating things and, and learning things. And so, yeah, I, th- I just, I can't say enough what, what a difference it is to, to work with someone or if you really want to delve into it and figure out the MIDI side of things. I've seen like, who was it? Purity Ring? Some of their stuff, maybe you're probably looking 10, 12 years back. They didn't have a lighting designer out with them. They were when they were opening for um, Dirty Projectors. I think they opened for us for a little while. Like they had a really good light show, and they didn't have a lighting designer. So it's possible to do it on your own. There's going to be a lot of research in there. If you are about to reach out to find a, a lighting designer, what mm-hmm. are some of the, maybe the the three big questions you should be asking them to make sure you got the right person? Oh goodness, I haven't a clue. You know, lighting's so much of a feel thing. I would ask uh, for examples of their work. Mm-hmm. You know, in this day and age, everybody's got at least You've a few videos up, up on, you know, YouTube. I, I think even at, at any level, you're going to have something that's indicative of your work. So, you know, you want to look at a portfolio. You want to make sure that what their, their vibe matches yours. And I think you want to have that question, like, ask Ask them how they approach lighting. And I don't know, I think there's a good healthy balance between a lighting designer's vision and aesthetic and their ability to take direction from the band because ultimately it's the band show. Yeah. Granted the band, you're not a lighting designer, so you're hiring one for a reason, but at the same time, you don't wanna, you don't wanna have somebody who's arguing with you about something that you want to do, you know, yeah. I always, I always take it as my job. It's like my job is to advise them on what the best thing is. But if they don't want to take that advice, it's their show. They're fine. You know, yeah. I think that's probably a, a good place to start. And then maybe, um, you know, if you know other bands that have worked with lighting designers, I would just ask them for for recommendations because if I think that's probably the best way or if you again like if you were playing at a at a club and they have somebody and you just feel that the lights were good that night talk to that person you know i think that's that's a great way to go so is there anything that you're excited about new technology out there that you're you want to get your hands on and just start playing with (laughs) it what's what's next in this lighting industry I was really excited to see, I believe it was Roby, they, they came up with a module system where basically they're, they're talking about like not getting rid of the fixture, but replacing individual like modules as upgrades to the fixture, which I think is just wonderful. I've kind of like wondered, what would that be? Like a, a moving light that, you know, does all the, okay. the bells and whistles kind of thing. And so generally, you know, each company will come out with a light every few years and they'll have a, a series of them that are, you know, you have the wash and the profile and 
now you have the, the hybrid that does beam, wash, and profile. So a wash is just like a big wide flood of light. A profile is a focusable beam, so you can have a hard edge around it and you can do things like the patterns that you see uh, projected on the ceiling. Profiles do that and then hybrids do both wash, profile, and then also like a really thin narrow beam kind of mode. And so, you know, it used to be that like a manufacturer would come out with a light it lasts like seven years and then they come out with like another, you know, five to seven years comes out with another series of lights. And I just think it's, you know, there's just so much waste in that. You end up throwing these lights away. Um, I'm sure they end up in being used elsewhere, but eventually they end up in the landfill. And so just this idea of upgrading modules versus upgrading the entire unit, I really love seeing that. And I think that's one of the bigger things that I'm excited about is just is Lighting is pretty wasteful. Um, LEDs have been great as far as bringing our, our energy usage down. You know, I, I think we all have to have an eye on our impact on the climate at this point. And I think that's the thing that I'm most hopeful about is, is finding more sustainable solutions for lighting. So what's next for Megan? Were you on tour <laughs> when this all happened? Or are you like, it was a hard uh, stop for you? Or were you prepping for something? prepping for I was designing for the Dixie Chicks this year now the chicks they dropped Dixie the other day we were supposed to start touring in in June so it would have been in the middle of a, a tour now you know I I don't know that that's fully gone away but it's certainly on hold. nobody knows what's happening in the industry I think that it's definitely going to take a vaccine and, and possibly treatment options or you know and or treatment options I just think touring is going to be the the last thing that comes back. It's, it's very, I can't wrap my head around how you would be able to move people in a confined space from city to city and how they could really set things up and actually know that concerts are going to happen. I think you'll see local concerts for sure. You're already seeing them, but I don't think you're going to see touring for at least another year. So for me, I just bought a pottery wheel and um, I'm going totally analog. I'm not doing, you know, I've been doing Solotech was kind enough to, to lend me a, a lighting wing. So probably like once, twice a week, I'll, uh, I'll work on my show file or just do some lighting stuff to keep my head somewhat in the game. And then I've been working on Vectorworks, which is kind of the CAD software that I use. So I've been learning some of that, but yeah, I like making things. So I decided to get a pottery wheel and I'm going to do pottery for a year. <laughs> And then we'll get back to lighting. All right. Maybe we'll have some pottery lights. Hot lights. <laughs> Hot lights. There you go. They're very bright. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Megan. We hope, that, been a pleasure. we hope that we get to see another light show from you. Uh, I was so impressed by the two I saw. I know for sure the metric ones. You know, it's one thing to, to see streaming shows, for example. Which, by the way, a lot of them have terrible lighting. So. Oh, they're, yeah. Can I throw one thing in real quick? Sure. If you're doing a live stream, number one, you want flat, even light from in front of you for a live stream. Start there. It's- um, What would you buy? Like literally, I've just got a, um, a large monitor, a computer monitor, and I have a white backdrop on it right above my computer here. Flat, even light. Fantastic. There's, you know, there's no shadows. It's great. I'm wearing glasses, so I have the ring light, and I, I notice when people have the ring light, you have the rings in the eyes. Yeah. Uh, 
Zoom also has a feature that is like touch up your appearance and it'll soften everything for you, which helps with the glare a little bit. You probably, I can't see very well without my, my glasses and I tend to not focus if I put them on and I just, but yeah, if you can not wear glasses in a live stream, it's probably better. The, my number one complaint is that people play their song, even in the pre-recorded stuff, they play their song and then immediately put their finger up to hit the button. Give it a three count. Play your song, finish, sit there. Let them transition away from you or give them time to chop or to give them time to fade out that before you reach your finger to hit. Just give it a pause. So much better. <laughs> Never give the camera the finger. Totally. Unless you need to. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much. Thank you for being on the show. And I'm sure that the people will appreciate uh, musicians will appreciate all this advice that once they do resume, especially the smaller shows, they can incorporate some of the lighting ideas that you brought, some of the colors, and just kind of experiment. We don't know what it's going to look like, so take this time to experiment. Get better at it and, and yeah. play around. Um, maybe even uh, look in your local newspapers or classifieds to try to find some. Um, there's a lot of clubs that are going under, unfortunately, and unfortunately, they'll often have yeah. some equipment that you can play around with and at least keep that stuff out of a landfill. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, time that we can all spend creating things. So Randall, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a true pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. If you enjoy the show, share it with other musicians. Help us spread the word. Theme song written and performed by Wolves at Midnight. Thanks for listening to the Rockstar Today podcast. Now go out there and rock your business like you rock the stage. <laughs>